Welcome to Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. I'm Dr. Taryn Marie. And on this series, we have the opportunity to hear from well-known people who tell their often surprising, lesser well-known stories of resilience. Welcome in to Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. Today, you get to hear from a very special woman and a dear friend of mine, Natalie Egan. She's the CEO and founder of Translator Incorporated. And she's gonna talk to us about how we can't understand each other before we understand ourselves. And her company and her journey, which is all about teaching empathy at scale. Listen in now. Welcome to all of you to a very, very special episode of Flourish or Fold Stories of Resilience. Today we have with us Natalie Egan. CEO and founder of Translator Inc., which we are going to find out more about Translator Inc. today. She is a role model to me, a friend, someone I deeply admire and look up to, and one of the best women I have ever met in my whole life. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, Taryn. Uh, Hi, everybody. Thank you for for joining and listening to us today. My name is Natalie Egan. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And as Taryn said, I'm the CEO and founder of Translator, where we build diversity, equity, and inclusion analytics software for corporations, schools, and nonprofits. And I'm just really excited to be about part of this conversation. So thank you for having me, Taryn. I'm so excited that you're here. I'm so honored that you're here. You are doing absolutely incredible work. I know we're going to get into a bit more of your personal story. However, because you led with just this tremendous description of your focus on DEI and what you're providing for organizations, I would love for you to break that down for the folks at home and tell us like, what does that mean? What what are you up to at Translator Inc.? At a high level, as you mentioned, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, is a is an emerging category of 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 business services and technology that you know uh, organizations are are implementing uh, for many reasons. Uh, most importantly, because it's the right thing to do, um, but also because of you know all these other. Um, Sort of forces, market forces. Um, you know, something that's called environmental social governance (ESG) is a big driver of this. Um, all the, and that's you know really just kind of spinning out of all the social unrest and the inequities that have been exposed uh, over the last two years that have been around forever, by the way, but you know have really just become very apparent. Um, as well as you know a lot of the other sort of changes in in the world, right? You know, the future of work, the you know, COVID and how that's impacted things has really made, there's a focus on culture and, and culture change in organizations. And it's traditionally been something that people have ignored. I mean, they didn't feel like they had a lot of control over their culture. It would go to the default setting. And so now more and more organizations like us are building technology and tools to try and help companies shape culture and, and measure culture in order to create the best workplace possible and also to have a, a positive impact on the world. And so um, we build software that helps companies do that. When companies reach out 
to you, Natalie, at Translator Inc., and they ask for your assistance, they ask for your help, what is the ask that is most commonly brought to you by organizations that you really feel like as an organization, you're in your sweet spot to be able to address and and support organizations in their cultural development? Every company is sort of in a different place in their journey. And so we kind of have to meet them where they are and mm. they're all over the place. Um, you know, some are more advanced, some are just beginning. Um, but I think generally the if I had to sort of simplify or, or just sort of you know, uh, explain what I think they're all kind of looking for. They're they're looking for, you know, new ways of doing diversity, equity, and inclusion. They're looking for, you know, things like that are differentiated, that are and and that are also measurable and and scalable. They're data driven. I mean, traditionally, quote unquote, DEI would, you know, and and trainings related to that were were done in person. You know, they're hard to measure. You wouldn't know if they were working or not working. And there was always this sort of like fatigue related to them. And so companies are looking for new ways of doing that. And, and that's probably the, the, the thing, the biggest thing that we're addressing is we're giving people, you know, a highly differentiated way of, of going about diversity, equity, inclusion inside their organization. And a lot of that has to do with with, with what we call difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've built a, a technology platform that helps facilitate difficult conversations in the workplace. It's working, um, it's early stage, but it's a big market that's growing very fast. And, you know, we're excited to be a part of, of it, you know, if for no other reason than just to be a part of the change that we need to see in the world. I mean, that's, that's why we exist. Yeah, and, and what might be some of those difficult conversations that you help people or, or teams or organizations have say in a more, in a way that might be differentiated from other organizations? And, and how do you make those difficult conversations more productive? Yeah. I mean, I think the focus for us is, and and, and it kind of hits on some of the topics that, that, you know, the focus of the conversations is really around like self-awareness. Right. And, and that's that's an easy thing to say, like that doesn't that's not necessarily difficult. But what we start what starts to get difficult is talking about things like privilege mm-hmm. and mar- and marginalization and our identities and our lived experience and intersectionality. And, you know, as you start to get into those things, that's where people start getting uncomfortable. Right. I mean, uh, we oftentimes hear from people, you know, something along the lines of I've worked for this company for 20 years and I've never talked about my identity once while mm-hmm. working here. Right. And because there was no safe space for that. And what we've done with the technology is we're actually creating a safe space. You know, we've talked about safe spaces for a long time, but I actually just, you know, always felt that it was sort of a little bit of a, like, like lip service, right? Like right. it's not actually safe. <laughs> we could say it, but, but the technology actually allows for people to go through these experiences and, and learn and grow and, and ask questions without the fear of judgment and quote unquote otherization through this anonymous technology, right? So it allows for them to kind of self-explore um, without judgment. And, and that's probably the biggest differentiator. And you know, we, mm. we collect anonymous data about it. So we can go back to the company and say, you may not realize X, Y, and Z about your employees. Um, you know, the things they struggle with, the questions they have, you know, what types of, of, of privilege and marginalization and stereotypes and labels and 
you know, prejudices and unconscious biases that they're experiencing. Um, so we can report on that. And then once the client understands that, sees that, they can't unsee it. You know, mm-hmm. they have been, it gives them something to really take action on. And, and that's, you know, high level, like what differentiates us maybe. Right. Right. What, what made you want to found this company, Natalie, you're a serial tech entrepreneur. You've really created a number of very exciting, very innovative companies prior to Translator Inc. What, what made you want to found this company at this time? Um, well, I, I mean, I think that starts to get into some of my stories. So it's a good transition Ooh. moment. Um, but no pun intended on the word transition there. But um, the, yeah, I mean, I think it, a lot of it has to do with my my lived experience and my story. And, you know, I think that's how a lot of the, the best companies are, are, are started. You know, the best ideas come from, you know, people's you know, when they, what their, their lived experience, right? I mean, like what, it, what it, they, whatever it is that they're dealing with, they're building solutions to, to solve that problem. And, you know, that sort of brings me back to like my own uh, transition and my own experience. I mean, I, I identify just so everybody's out there understands, I identify as a transgender woman. I also identify as a, you know, a human being. Um, I identify as a mom and I identify as an entrepreneur and an athlete, but my identity as, as a trans woman, you know, really was a catalyst for a lot of change in my life when I, when I figured it out, you know, I, I didn't know who I was my whole life because I had repressed it. You know, I, I didn't, I was ashamed of, of expressing who I truly was. So I, I hid it and I masked it with, you know, layers and layers of, of masculinity. I mean, which was actually really easy for me because I had so much testosterone pumping through me. It was pretty easy to, to, to pretend to be somebody else, even though deep down inside, I, you know, I, I'm, I was really me, you know, the, the person that, you know, you're hearing today. And, and, um, you know, unfortunately my voice is still, um, you know, very much, uh, I have a masculine voice. I mean, I had, it's, it's just part of my identity today, which again, is part of, my lived experience is what I deal with every day is I have to deal with this. Um, and if you can see the video I and mean, you can see, I don't present very masculine. A lot of the world doesn't see me that way. They'll never see me as a, as a woman. Um, and, and that's, that's just the way it is. That's, you know, I can't do anything about that. Um, you know, right now, I mean, this, it's like I'm working on, a, I'm working on a bigger solution for that in terms of my identity and my transition. I mean, I came out as a transgender woman about, about six years ago. Um, prior to that, I, um, as you mentioned, I was a serial entrepreneur and, you know, lived my life um, as a very different person and kind of was living the life everybody wanted me to live. You know, it wasn't the life I wanted to live, but it was the life everybody else wanted me to live. And I came from a lot of privilege and um, I, I didn't know that at the time. I didn't understand it. Um, but I also had a lot of resources and access around me. And I kind of had this like very stereotypical white male, lots of privileged life. I went to good schools and, and anyways, I, I, I had the privilege of starting companies. I mean, I was an entrepreneur, like there's a lot of privilege in, in being able to do that, which again, I didn't understand at the time. I just thought I was a really hard worker, but it didn't, you know, I didn't realize what a competitive advantage I had to be able to, to just go out and start companies. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a risk that a lot of people can't take. But when I came out as a transgender woman, 
you know, five or six years ago, it was a big deal for me. You know, there's a whole big story behind that, but, um, and that changed my world considerably, you know, the, 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 my network, the people, I, my family, nobody expected that. And, and it, it gave me a wholly new perspective on the world. I lost a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, I lost, I lost a lot of people. I lost a lot of family, a lot of lost, a lot of like friends, you know, business partners, people that will never talk to me again. You know, people that were, you know, my, my nearest and dearest will never talk to me again. And, um, and that was, you know, really eye-opening experience for me. And there's a lot more to it than that, but it was sort of the beginning of my own journey of Mm self-awareness, right? My own journey of, of, you know, what I, what I oftentimes call my, my journey to becoming Natalie's, you know, my journey of, of, of empathy, Right. Like I prior to my transition, I didn't even know what empathy was like. I I use the word empathy and sympathy like interchangeably, you know, like I and I because I grew up with so much privilege, I was sort of in this bubble and I had very low self-awareness. And as I started started that bubble burst and I started to come out into the world, I realized like what most of the world deals with. Right. Like. Um, those that are not at the center of power, which is the majority of the world, by the way. And it was, it was just a big eye-opening experience for me. And I, I, I always tell people I, I experienced bias, discrimination, and hatred for the first time in my life, you know, at like age 38. And, you know, academically and theoretically, I knew what those things were, but I never actually experienced the sting of marginalization, like, you know, somebody not looking me in the eye. Right. Like somebody refusing me service, you know, feeling unsafe, you know, because of my identity. Like, you know, like I never felt any of those things. Um, I, I, I never felt unwanted. And and all those things came true for me really quickly. And I I and, they, and you know, it's ongoing, by the way, it doesn't go away. Yeah. Um, but I I I decided I was going to do something about it. You know, I was going to, um, you know, use my my privilege and my resources and my, um, my net, my, what was left of my network to, to do, to build technology, to help us understand each other better. Like that was the original idea. And, um, you know, pretty quickly I realized that we can't understand each other better until we understand ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And, and that really was sort of the like light bulb moment for me. And I realized, you know, okay, I'm going to build technology to, 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 to solve this problem of inequity. And, 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 and that's, I'm just going to do, that's what I'm going to do. I got nothing else to do in my life at this point. Like I've lost everything. Um, and so I got nothing to lose. Why not? I'm, I'm, I was in a unique position to do it because my previous company was sort of similar. It was, you know, not the same subject matter, but it was a similar business model. Like it was sort of what I call change management software. Mm-hmm. It was designed to change people's hearts and minds and behaviors and make it like scalable and measurable. And so I'd already built a company that did that. And I just figured, Hey, like instead of teaching people, that company was a social media guidance app. It was designed to show people what to do on social media and when to do it and make it scalable and whatever. Uh, anyways, I just said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to build that same company, but instead of teaching people social media at scale, we're going to teach empathy at scale. And that's teach empathy at scale. Yeah. It's teachable. It is very teachable. Incredible. I, I also love this notion that really 
is that, you know, seems to be at the, the forefront, the core of your uh, conceptualization of this work, which is the idea that we can't understand each other before we understand ourselves. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it, it, I'm my own case study of of that. Yeah, I mean, that was like my own realization. I, I think there's there's definitely academic research. There's a lot of academic research to support that, and you know, you can kind of understand, you know, traditionally like how you do teach empathy, which, like as I said, you can, it is teachable. It's just been considered sort of hard to teach and. And I think a lot of times people in the hiring process in particular, like look for people that have empathy and don't really think about how do we train and develop empathy. Um, but what I kind of quickly realized, and again, there's a lot of research around this, that like this, this, you know, there, the other, the other secret to empathy is storytelling, right? Like that's, there's, that's very well known, but the problem that I realized very quickly is that like people can't hear your story. They won't hear your story until they and until they understand their own story. And so many people don't understand their own story. They've just never had the opportunity or the resources or the reason to reflect and, and, and really do that work um, because we're like on autopilot for survival. And we're just like and we live in our bubbles. Right. And our bubbles reinforce what we know. And so sometimes we, some people don't ever have the opportunity to break out of those bubbles. I, I, I think we're all capable of empathy, some more than others. Like, let's be clear than that. Like some people have more capability for more empathy than other people, but we all have the potential for it. It gets harder as people get older and more conditioned, right? The more, the more that environment reinforces what we currently know and believe, the harder it is to break through to those people. And you know, some people inevitably it becomes it, it's almost like too challenging to get through to them. And usually they're they're more on the the older side. And you know, at some point they just won't be with us anymore. And so, you know, they'll live their lives kind of they'll go out the way they were. But I have a lot of I'm very optimistic about the rest of what I'll call like the movable middle, right? The folks that we can influence. Um, and that's where technology comes in. And we have technology today that can do things that was never possible five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And a lot of that has to do with storytelling, information. Like we can disseminate information globally in a nanosecond, mm -hmm. right? Like people can learn things at scale now that they could never have learned before. It's very, there's all kinds of polarization of that information out there right now, but that's because of our our conditioning and our environments that we currently live in. So kind of trying to work on all that. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's an audacious and of course, incredibly worthy awesome. goal. Speaking of, speaking of story, and I love how you talk about storytelling, understanding our own story and be being willing to hear and, and connect to and be immersed in the stories of others as uh, an unlock, if you will, for for empathy. Um, would you like to tell us more about your story? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, my, I, I don't know where to start, but I, I guess you know. I ha I have an idea about where to start. Well, one of the things that I was curious about around your story would be that moment when the life you were living and the person that you felt you were meant to be like 
when that chasm got so wide between the person that you were in the life that you were living and the person that you believed and felt you actually were, was, was that an inflection moment where the expanse between those two things got so wide that you felt like you needed to, or you could do something different? Yeah. I mean, it's, there's some nuances in there that other people who've struggled with their identities, their, their gender identities in particular, or, you know, I mean, and listen, it's not just about gender identity, right? I mean, I think we all have struggled with expectations that other people put on us for all kinds of reasons, whether it's our, you know, sexual orientation or our gender, which are two different things, by the way, Yes. Uh, or, or, you know, uh, like, what we want to do with our career, right? Like those, I mean, there's literally, or there's so many things that our, um, you know, society and, and the world put upon us, these constructs and expectations. And so I think this, the struggle is, there's some universality in that struggle. But for me, and I think the nuances that I was pointing out, you know, anyone who's struggled with their gender identity would understand that like, you know, it wasn't like there was one moment where I was like, oh, this is stretched too far. And, and to be clear, like, I didn't even understand my identity. Like, I didn't even know who I was until about five or six years ago. Like, I knew I was different growing up. I knew that, um, but I didn't know why. You know, I didn't have language for it. I didn't have words. There was no representation. Like, there was no, like, there was no role models. There was no, and therefore there was no hope that I could, you know, there's this saying, like, if you can see it, you can be it. Right. But like, there was nobody to see. Right. Right. Um, and if anything, over the years, as we surfaced in the media, it was always as like a really dangerous, like trope or like, you know, a joke, literally. Right. Like, I mean, my earliest like memories of anyone that you know, what today we would call being trans was like Ace Ventura pet detective and like, you know, friends with Chandler Bing's, you know, father who was dressing as a woman, right? Like all of these things were like CIS and stuff. It was always like the, the or the, whoever was dressing as like a, a woman, a man dressed as a woman was a psychopath. Mm. Like, it was always, like there was, always, so that wasn't a good role model for, for anyone like myself. And, you know, so I was in denial of who I really was. I didn't, I didn't want to accept it because it was such a, it, you know, um, it was so unaccepted by the world and, it, and mm -hmm. we're, we made progress, but like, it's still not like safe out there. Mm -hmm. um, and anyways, I, I sort of say all that because for me, I didn't figure out my identity. Like I had this, like, you know, this moment, you know, five or six years ago where it just all broke loose. Right. Like I just, and I had this moment where I kind of finally figured out my identity and in the space of figuring out my identity, what you described sort of happened very quickly, where it was like, all of a sudden there was this huge disconnect between who I was and who I needed to be. But I only realized that within like the span of like 48 hours and it was a complete and total breakdown. Um, and was, was there a catalyst for that, for that breakdown or that very transformative 48 hours? I mean, there was, it was, you know, for 38 years of, of, of stress and pressure building up to that moment. And it finally broke through. I mean, I, I built my life, my, my prior to my transition, I built my life. It was like, it was like building a skyscraper with no foundation. Mm-hmm. 
you know, like inevitably it was going to come crashing down and eventually it did. And it wasn't one thing, but it was like, it was like, you know, when um, and there's a term for this, but I, I can't remember, but it was sort of like, it was like, a, like a catastrophic systems failure. <laughs> like mm. everything started failing. Mm-hmm. And it was like this, you know, domino effect where everything started to crash. It was like my previous business started to, to come crashing down. My personal life, like my marriage came crashing down. Like everything that I had built up came down and it, when it, it, and it took it all falling to the ground, you know, burning to the ground for me to rise up. Right. I mean, that whole like sort of cliche saying, but that's what really had to happen. And, but everything had to burn down to the ground for me to even realize who I was. And then I had to make a decision at that point to say, am I going to do this? Like, am I going to be strong enough to go out and be who I really am meant to be, who I'm supposed to be in the face of what everybody was expecting me to be? Like, that was a decision point. That was where it was like, okay, now I'm I'm either going to kill myself, which is what I almost did. And I, and I was going to, right. Like, as I started to realize that I was trans, like I would, what was going through my head was this is the worst thing that I could possibly realize about myself and no one will ever accept me as who I am supposed to be. And there's no other answer. Like I'd actually be protecting other people by taking this, this sort of this, you know, this, 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 the easy way out, if you will. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful that I gave it a chance, right? I mean, I still have really hard times for sure. And it, it's, it's oftentimes very, very hard, but, you know, I sort of had this moment where I was like, you know, you know, I'm just going to try this and see if it's okay. See if it's bearable, you know? Yeah. And, you know, I kind of had this idea, like, well, if it's, if it's as bad as I think it is going to be then, or, or worse, then I can just always go back to this other plan. And, and that was sort of how I sort of slowly started to come out, you know, literally come out of the closet mm. where I spent my whole life. I mean, it's, there's a reason I think people don't realize that are not in the, the, the community, meaning the LGBT community, like we're literally actually in the closet. Like it actually happened. Most of the stuff for me was happening in the closet. Mm-hmm. I would lock myself in a closet and, and experiment with, women's clothes and makeup and, and, you know, then I'd get really ashamed about it and throw all the stuff away and go through these like horrible cycles, but like always thinking that it was something really wrong with me and, and not knowing that there was other people out in the world that were also dealing with the same thing. Mm. So anyways, that's a little bit about my story. I, I love your story. Thank you. I, I love how you went from I am definitely going to kill myself to, well, we could try this out and see how it goes. How did you get there? How did you summon the bravery or come up with the idea to say, well, we could, we could give this a try. Um, Well, there's like, there's probably, there's like a long version of that story and there's probably a medium and a short and I'll try for medium to short just for the sake of time. Um, but I, I, I figured out my identity one night, like there was a night that everything came together for me. It was like, 
you know, is this like electric moment there, there was some buildup to that, of course. I mean, I, you know, I had sort of started to really struggle with my identity. I was trying to figure out who I was. And I called a friend of mine who I had heard had transitioned and, you know, was also a CEO of tech company and went to a similar, same, the same university as me. And uh, I hadn't heard from them in a very long time. And I called them up one day out of the blue. And I said, I got to come to New York and meet with you. And I got to talk to you about this problem that I have. And she said, of course, and I went to New York and I met with her and I sat down at lunch and I told her I had a cross-dressing problem and that I needed to, to stop it because it was ruining my life. And she, you know, pretty quickly told me that she didn't think it was a cross-dressing problem and that I was actually transgender and that I should, you know, embrace my identity. And I resisted it. And I told her she didn't know what she was talking about. And I just had a simple cross-dressing problem, but, and I had reached out to her cause I just figured like, if anyone might understand this, it'd be her. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, long story short, we ended up going out that night mm-hmm. um, and I had never been out of the closet. Like I had never been out in the world. I had never been, you know, in the closet for me, it was also, by the way, like hotel rooms. Like I would go yeah. to that I could be safe. And um, anyways, she came and met me at my hotel room in New York City, and I wasn't planning on going out. I thought we were just going to hang out in the hotel room and talk, get dressed up. She had this full expectation that we were going to go out. I, I resisted that, and eventually she convinced me to go out. And I mean, part of it was just the leverage she had. She was like, I'm going to leave if you don't come out with me. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, I, I'd never been, I've never talked to another person that had any, like, I'd never, never disclo- disclosed my identity to anyone else. So I was like, do not leave. Like, please don't leave kind of thing. And she said, well, I'm leaving. Um, So, you know, after some, you know, liquid courage and some other kinds of courage, she helped me, you know, go out in the world and, you know, going through the lobby of the hotel was like, was the first big step. And then eventually we got out onto the, onto Fifth Avenue and, you know, we were walking down, um, actually it was, we were coming down on Madison Square Park and, it was like this beautiful fall night and we were walking arm in arm and I was just like, you know, so nervous. And they, like, there was all this, like, but I was also really comfortable. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. um, and I remember just to share some of the imagery. I mean, I just, I remember like, it was this beautiful fall night. And I remember like looking across the street and seeing two other women walking arm in arm. And I looked down and I was walking arm in arm with Morgan and it just felt so right, you know? And I just remember looking at them and looking at us and being like, wow, there's something about this moment. And, and then I remember looking up and seeing the wind blow through the trees and, you know, the, it was all fall. So the re- leaves were dry and like falling and you could really see the wind blow through the trees. And then it went down the street and it came back. The wind came back, like kind of curled towards us and you could see it moving all the leaves on the, on the sidewalk. And eventually the wind got to me and it kind of blew up my legs and I, my skirt. Like it was sort of like my little Marilyn Monroe moment. And, um, and I never felt that feeling before. Like I'd never been outside. So I never felt wind like against my legs and it actually blew up through my hair and I never felt that experience either. And that's, that was my moment. Like that was, that's when I realized like, it was this very, it was like this electrical, like lightning, you know, moment where all of a sudden I realized I was like, oh my God, like, this is what I've been missing my whole life. Like, this is who I really am. And it was just all of a sudden everything made sense. You know, it was like, again, like a lightning bolt went through me and um, all of a sudden I realized I was like, I'm, I'm a woman, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm a transgender woman and, and I'm, this is who I was always supposed to be. And I've been denying it my whole life. And 
you know, it was, it was, it was an amazing moment, you know, it was an amazing night. You know, I had the best, I had the best night. Um, you know, we, we ended up going to this place called Barracuda bar and which is like a, you know, a, a queer friendly bar and um, watching drag all night long. And I got so drunk. I mean, it was like, the, I've never, I had never, I've never had a hangover like I had the next morning um, ever. And, but it wasn't just the hangover of, of, a, of this night, this incredible night. It was this hangover of this reality of like my identity. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't a question. It wasn't like, oh, mm, am I transgender? Like, it was like, oh shit, I'm transgender. Like, there was no denying it. And that's where I went into this, like, oh my God, now, you know, because I was always traditionally like, because of my, like, my programming prior to my transition, I was like, okay, now I have to go into fix it mode. Like, I need to fix this. Like, what is the answer? And, you know, pretty quickly I realized I said, there isn't, there is no answer for this. I need to kill myself. Um, It's the only, it's the responsible thing to do, actually. Like, that's what I, that's literally what I thought was like, this is what I have to do. Um, In that moment, killing yourself appeared to be the responsible thing to do. It was, yeah, it was the only thing I could do. And by the way, like prior to that, I'd always like look down on people that had committed suicide or talked about or thought about it. Like, I thought it was like really weak. And all of a sudden I realized I had my back up against the wall. And I, and this was like, actually, that's the beginning of like empathy for me, where I was like, all of a sudden I realized like what other people have been going through, right? Mm -hmm. It's like really being in their shoes for a moment and being like, oh, I have no choice here. So I put together a plan. I had a shotgun at home and I was going to, you know, go home and, and do it when my family wasn't around. This is where this all gets sort of gets weird, right? I mean, it's just, uh, so I, I, that's my plan. I left the hotel room very slowly, really hungover. Um, and I, you know, I got a late checkout and I somehow made my way to the parking garage where, you know, I was going to get my car and drive back to Philadelphia and do what I had to do. And um, I shouldn't have been driving, by the way. I was still probably legally drunk. And I realized that and said, I need to sober up a little bit. I need to go get water and Gatorade and coffee. So I went to this like bodega right next to the parking garage and I loaded up on, on all those beverages. And uh, I was standing in line to get to, to check out. And the person standing in front of me, like I, I heard their voice and I recognized their voice. And I, I sort of like peeked around and I was like, Alex, like, is that you? And it was like my best friend from, from high school standing in front of me. And he was like, Egan, you know, he looks it's like, are you okay? Like he could immediately recognize I was not okay. And he's like, oh, you know, and I told him, I said, I'm not okay. And he said, well, let's, let's go talk. And, you know, if you understood the backstory to that, like the fact that Alex was even there, like, I mean, there's so many things that would make this so unlikely that this would ever happen, you know, where he lives, you know, what his job was, you know, I actually helped him get a job. Like he was in sales, like, you know, he's always very busy and he's like, yeah, I, I, I couldn't even believe that he could talk. He's like, yeah, my, my, my client just canceled on me last minute. So I'm just hanging out. Let's go sit down in the park. And so we went down and sat in the park and um, I just decided that I was going to tell him everything and just see what happens, you know, and just see, cause I, you know, I, I was like, this is my plan. I, by the way, I, I, t- I was going to tell him everything except for what I was going to do that night. Right. Um, you were gonna you're gonna hold that one piece back. Yeah, but I was gonna tell him about what I had figured out the night before, like my identity, like that I was, you know, who I really was. And 
And I told him all the details. And this is this person was like my best friend. I've had five best friends from high school, but he was one of the, my crew. And, you know, he was in my wedding and um, really sort of traditional, like alpha male, lax player, bro kind of guy. And, and I told him everything and I wasn't sure how he was going to react. And, you know, at the end, after telling him everything, I said, you know, I, I, I said, you know, and this is who I am, you know, what, what should I do? And he looked at me deadpan in the eye and he said, he's like, and he said, he said, bro, he said, bro, he's like, bro, he's like, I don't fucking know, but you got to be you. Like, you got to do you. He's like, I don't know how you're going to do that, but you got to be you. And I was so shocked that he said that, Taryn. I mean, I was just like, I couldn't believe that's what he said. I thought he was going to say, oh, thanks for telling me, like, don't tell anyone else, you know, like, mm-hmm. go get help. That's what I thought he was going to say. And he, he, said every anything you know everything but you know he he told me you know or not he didn't tell me everything he told me exactly what I told you I mean he said you got to be you you got to do you and I remember saying you know it's like how and he's like I don't I don't fucking know but you got to do it you got to do you and and honestly that he saved my life at that moment like that moment changed everything for me because I I thought to myself I was like wow if Alex can handle this like maybe Matt can handle this you know, my other good friend in my group, and then maybe Pete and Jed and, you know, and then I thought, well, what about maybe my brother and my other brother and my dad and, you know, and that's where I was like, you know what, maybe I'll just try this. I'll just try it, see what happens. And that was five or six years ago. And it's been a long, it's been hard, but, you know, it's, it's, it was the right thing to do. And, um, I'm really, while I still suffer quite a bit, I have, you know, I'm, I, I deal with a lot of issues. I'm loneliness, sadness, you know, I've, I've mental health problems because of this, the, you know, I continue to like be rejected by society. Like I'm assaulted like every day in the media, you know, like it's hard to have good mental health when the world, like, or at least part of the world, a lot of the world is rejecting you. Right. At the same time, you know, I'm, 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 there's a lot of parts of my mental health that have never been better. Right. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm truly content for the first time in my entire life. Mm. You know, like I was always seeking and wanting and nothing was ever good enough, including myself. Right. Like Mm -hmm. prior to this. And now I'm like totally content, Mm. you know, like there's, there's certain parts of, of my identity that are more healthy than ever, but you know, my mental health can improve if the world would stop attacking me, right? Like that's that's a fixable problem. The mental health issues I had before were were off the charts. I mean, like, you know, I I I, I was diagnosed with everything growing up, you know, bipolar mm-hmm. disorder and you know, this and that and ADD and you know, depression. And it was like everybody would just try and prescribe anything to me because they couldn't figure me out. But it turns out I was just transgender and like. Like if I had access to those resources as a kid, I would have, you know, I wouldn't have had to deal with all that crap. Right. But I'm, I'm much healthier today. I mean, in, in all aspects of my life, you know, I've, I've lost all my, I was very heavy. I used to smoke cigarettes and drink alcohol and do drugs to run away from my problems. And now I don't do any of that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't drink coffee, you know? Right. So right. anyway. And in fact, you just completed a marathon. I did actually. Speaking yeah. of healthy practices. 
Yeah, that was my my seventh marathon. Um, just on Sunday was the New York City Marathon, the fi- the 50th running of the New York City Marathon. <sighs> Not my best marathon, but it was still a marathon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love running. I mean, I I love I love having a connection with my body. You know, like I like I'm. You know, there's so many things that came out of my transition, but like one of them is just like being connected to myself, right? That's mm-hmm. the self awareness part. And like now, I have this like incredible passion of like like how do I express myself through like, you know, in this case running and like, you know, perform like endurance sports. I mean, I just, it just, it's such a, like a rush for me. It's such a high. And that's why, I mean, that's why I love doing that. Um, but yeah. before, I just wanted to get high, you know, I just wanted to run away from my reality and the expectations that everybody put on me to be this like really masculine, you know, person. So, yeah. You know, I love so many aspects of your story. And one of the things that I've always been struck by, I mean, I could hear that story every day for the rest of my life. Well, now that we've recorded it, you can just keep replaying it. Just keep replaying. <laughs> one of the things that I'm I'm struck by again in hearing that story, and I'm struck by so many things, is the power of not not just the the synchronicity and you know, my belief in life is there is no such thing as a coincidence, right? So the the synchronicity of Alex being there. And one aspect of your story that's so powerful to me, and I really want to underscore for others as well, is the power that we all have in those moments when someone comes to us and and truly opens up and, and tells us their story. And I love what you said about the fact that, I mean, I get tears in my eyes thinking about it. I, I love what you said about Alex, what he did for you that day, that that day he saved your life just in how he responded to what you shared with him. Yeah. I mean, I think that's probably one of there's, I mean, there's a lot of lessons in this, I think, but, you know, I think people like to, they like that. They like to focus it on that. And I, I like to, you know, elevate that moment or amplify that moment too, because I think we oftentimes don't, we don't realize the, the our impact on people. Like mm. he didn't realize that day that he saved my life, but he didn't know what I was up to. Like, he didn't know what my plan was. That's right. Right. And like every day we have those moments and, you know, but we also don't, we, you know, every day we don't, people don't always open up to us. Right. So like, or, or there might be just a moment right? Just a vulnerability or, 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 or not. Right. But like someone's reaction to, you know, some part of, you know, can, can, can really have this like ripple effect. And so, you know, I oftentimes, I think there's this, you know, this, we talk about being an ally a lot. And I think a lot of times people don't realize that like, sometimes allyship happens in these like really subtle ways and moments that we don't realize that like our actions, the things we say, you know, can really lead to very different outcomes for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's that awareness that's again, getting back to that concept of self-awareness, like that's where we have to, you know, we have to have our radars up. We have to realize that like when somebody is, you know, somebody may be struggling and we don't know it and they're not necessarily actually going to disclose it to you, but your actions will impact how they, how they, the, the decisions they make. Right. 
And for people who are holding on to something and they want to confide in someone, but they're not sure whom they should confide in or how, do you have suggestions for how someone might go about choosing who they share their story or what I'd call their resilient story? Um, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's hard to provide blanket advice on that because like everybody's situation is different. And, um, and so, you know, and a lot of people, um, can't because of safety reasons. Yeah. Right. right? There's like a reason that they can't disclose whatever it is that they need to. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm in particular focused on, you know, or to, you know, my experience, I can speak to that, what that is like for the trans community, the gender non-conforming community, right? Like, it's very easy to say like, oh, just be yourself and be authentic. Or it's very easy to say like, you know, for a company to say like, everybody bring your full self to work, like, you know, be your authentic self. And like, there's a reason that we are not our authentic selves. Like, right. Because it's easier to, 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 to assimilate right? It's, it's, it's a survival thing. A lot of times, like we could lose our jobs if we are, if mm -hmm. we, you know, and it's funny because companies say, bring your authentic self to work, but it's like, what they really mean is like, but like, not that part that we can't handle, right? Like, yeah, but like, like not that part or, yeah, or like, like not that much. Or yeah. Just, not all of it. You could just filter it. A kernel. Them. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's hard advice to give, but I think, you know, we, there's, there's lots of resources out there. Um, you know, both, you know, there's hotlines, you know, the Trevor project is a great example of one of many, you know, youth LGBT, um, you know, crisis hotlines. Um, there's lots of internet resources out there. Um, there's lots of groups. Like I, I'm a member of a lot of Facebook groups related to the trans experience. And I find great comfort and, you know, um, connection in those groups. And I think that's probably one of the most important things is being able to find just, you know, basic connection and, and similar people who, you know, either somewhere are on some part of the same journey, right? And just mm -hmm. being alone is what's really hard. Um, but, you know, approaching somebody that doesn't understand this stuff is, is also really hard. I mean, that's, that's probably one of the hardest things. I mean, I remember had to, you know, when I had to, break the news to my, to my brother and to my dad. Right. I mean, these are people that like, I had spent my, most of my life trying to be, you know, trying to, to model after them and, you know, to break this news to them was really, really hard. So I don't think there's a playbook for it, but sometimes it happens out of necessity, mm -hmm. but I think there's, there's resources out there and people that you can help to start to build a foundation to start to be able to figure out how to talk to people about it. So I would say start there. If you could go back in time and meet up with yourself at any point in the past, as you are today, and give yourself some advice, at what point in your life would you go back to? And what would you tell that prior version of yourself? Yeah. So um, just a little side story to this. So uh, I had never been asked that question before. Um, 
until you know maybe maybe about four years ago, uh, I was speaking to a group of eighth grade students, and you know telling my story. Mm-hmm. And you know prior prior to that, I had really only told, and I and generally I mostly tell my story to, um, not, not not middle school kids. Let's put it that way. You know? <laughs> So, they, uh, they were a departure from your traditional audience. Yeah, and I've done it since then, but that's not normally who I get in front of. But I've learned, <laughs> I learned a few things. I had a, 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 a young woman, young, you know, eighth grade girl stand up and ask me that question. And I just, I floored me. I mean, I was just like, it hit me so hard because I just didn't, I didn't have an answer. Mm-hmm. I really struggled. I was like, oh my God, like, wow, what a question, you know? Cause it's like, you know, for me, like, I think for a lot of people, like that might be a more straightforward question, but for me, it's like, if I could go back in time and talk to, let's just say my eighth grade self, what would I tell myself? I mean, I, I, shit, like, I, yeah, well, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to tell myself like, oh, just come out and be you. Like I'd be in eighth grade in like the middle of, like I was in, I was growing up in like Evansville, Indiana, you know, like in 19, like 87 or something. I don't know what year that was, but it was certainly not a year or a place um, to, to be me. And so it was really, it's really kind of like, it still messes with my mind to think about like, what would I tell myself? And, you know, all I could sort of come to answer at that time, still the similar answer is just to tell myself to like, just be strong and, and hold on and, and, you know, my time will come and, and, and just to try and just try and get through, you know, because I, I, I don't know what I would do. I, I, I don't, I don't know how, and I don't know how I would process that, you know, like if I was like my eighth grade self and I showed up, I'd be like, I'd probably run away mm-hmm. because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to recognize me. Mm-hmm. You know? I would be like this like very foreign thing showing up. You know, I kind of always knew that in some way I would this that my life was going to turn upside down. I had this like always like had this like really eerie feeling that like I don't know that I was living a lie. Uh huh. I didn't know what the lie was. Right. I just didn't feel like I, I would have these like really horrible conversations with myself in the mirror, and it was hard because I think classically people thought I was good looking like when I presented as, as, as more masculine in my prior, in my previous identity. So I would always look in my mirror in the mirror and see this. Like, I, I always thought I was really ugly. Mm. Uh, like I would look at myself and, and, and I was so disappointed in myself and I would have these really horrible conversations saying, you know, literally saying like, I hate you mm. looking in the mirror and saying, I hate you. Like you're a fraud, you're a fake, you're not good enough. Like you suck you know, and someday everybody's going to figure you out was kind of like, what was, but I didn't know what it was. It's really sad, you know? So anyways, long story short, I I mean, that's, I don't, I don't know if there's something that is, I mean, if I could get that, that little girl to, you know, come back and be in, in this, in, in 2021, I'd be like, you do you, you know, like be you. And don't hold back, but, you know, not in 1987 or whatever year that would have been. Mm. That would have been the end of me. I would have, I would have gotten the shit kicked out of me. I would have, you know, my, nobody would have accepted me. I would have been shipped off to a psych ward. 
I mean, that's, that's the truth. And by the way, I don't know if that's the right term to be using there politically uh, or not just politically, but I just, I would have been shipped off to, um, you know, for mental health reasons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, We could say for a psychiatric evaluation. Would you like to do some rapid fire questions to wrap up? Sure. All right, let's do it. All right, here we go. So don't think too much about these. I would have spent less time on. I would have spent less time worried about what other people think about me. I like it. I spent my whole life worried about what other people think about me. Now I don't care what other people think of me. (laughs) Yeah. By age 40, I wish that every person could lose. I would say not even by age 40. I wish by, you know, I wish people would just not have, lose the stigma of like whatever their identity is, you know, like. I, I, that's it's such a gift to, to not have to deal, you know, and there's so many, we're all so different. Right. And I know this is like rapid fire, but you know, we're all so different. And I think we just spend all of our lives trying to like fit in and conform and, you know, trying to be somebody else. And, you know, I, I would love it if we would just lose that stigma and just be us like mm. be real. And, and that would, you know, that's a, that would, there's no 40, that milestone is for, I mean, that should be like, when you're born lose the stigma and be real yeah i've been most surprised by the the incredible people that have come into my life yourself included um you know for you know you're like the case study by the way of of you know people that came that came i lost a lot of people like people ran away from me right and a lot of people ran to me yeah more people ran to me than have run away from me, thankfully. And, and that's been really surprising for me. And if we remember nothing else from this interview, last rapid fire question, what should we remember? I don't think we said it per se. Um, so I'll say it now for the first time. But I think I, I always have this sort of little, I think I like this little easy saying because it just helps keep me, keeps me going a lot of times. And it, that's, it's a simple phrase. It's representation matters. Mm. So hashtag representation matters. Um, and that's what today is all about, right? I mean, it's about representation. It's about telling, you know, stories. In this case, I'm telling my story, but I'm, I'm, I'm representing the community. I'm trying to, you know, get my voice out there, use my platform to, to you know, destigmatize the trans identity. I mean, that's like a big and, and gender non-conforming identity. It's like that's a big part of why I wake up every day and why I do what I do and why I show up in places is because representation matters and like that you can bring that into all aspects of anyone's life. Um, but especially for for marginalized folks. Beautiful. Representation matters. What an incredible note for us to wrap on. And Natalie, tell us where people can find you and and how you'd like our listeners to interact with you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you can always find me on the internet. Um, My social media handles generally are my, my first name, my middle initial, my last name. So Natalie J Egan, Um, you can find me on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn. Um, I don't do Twitter, so don't try and find me there. And I don't really do a lot on Facebook, so don't don't try and find me there. But Instagram and LinkedIn are probably good. And you know, you can check out my company, Translator, 
at www.translator.company. So it's uh, translator.company, C-O-M-P-A-N-Y. Uh, so the full word company there at the end. And um, if you want to reach out, you can message me through any of those platforms and happy to continue the conversation. And thank you so much, Taryn, for having me on your podcast. It's such Bye. an honor and a privilege. Thank you. Thank I you feel so incredibly privileged to have had you with us today. I loved getting to hear your story again. Thank you for sharing so much of yourself with us and with the world and really living into this mission and vision that you have of making the world a, a safer, more empathetic place at scale. So thank you for the essence of the woman that you are and all the incredible work you're doing. Thank you, Dr. Taryn. It's great to see you. I wish I could give you a hug. Um, so, but I love you and I'll see you soon. I love you too. I'll see you soon. I love that Natalie shared with us that prior to her transition, she didn't know what empathy was and the impact that challenge, change, and complexity can have on expanding our aperture for our empathy for ourselves and others. We ask that you share this episode of Flourish or Fold with your friends, family members, colleagues, neighbors, so that we can spread the word about the uplifting nature of sharing the lesser well-known stories of well-known people. Until next time, this is Dr. Taryn Marie. Thanks so much for joining us.